skill. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today, folks, is the CEO of Leadership Global. Please welcome Miss Linda Fisk. Linda, thanks for being with us today. Oh, Kevin, thanks so much for having me. What a pleasure and what a privilege to be on the Real Leaders Podcast. Thank you so much. Of course, you got it. And, uh, you know, a much anticipated podcast, Linda. Really looking forward to this conversation today. Uh, but the one thing is we want to we learn a little bit about you first before we go into all those amazing awards you're winning and all those uh, people that you're helping, all the females that you're empowering. Let's start off with the origin of Linda Fist. Tell us a little bit about where you grew up and uh, a few of the people that helped you along your way. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. I will say, you know, I had a very traditional family upbringing uh, with a mother, a father, a brother, a very uh, small nuclear family um, that had a very loving extended family. I grew up knowing very early on what I felt like was my purpose in life. I was very fortunate to really clearly understand my giftedness, my talents, how I was designed as a person, and began to really forge that idea of the purpose in my life when I was probably eight years old, believe it or not. And even then I understood the importance of connection with other people. And I started really trying to be almost a student of how people make decisions, how they form connections, how they are inspired or how they are motivated. And I started really looking at even my classmates, who were the most charismatic, who were the most popular, why? Why did certain people go to certain students, certain friends for advice, for guidance and not others? And I started really learning very early on that I felt like my purpose was not only to serve as a connection point for other people to lift them up, to cheer them on, to counsel them, to provide advice and guidance and the resources and tools to help them step into their purpose boldly. But I began to really try to understand how people make decisions how they are inspired to move in certain directions. And so that led me to an early sort of career choice in marketing. So I started my career in marketing, in advertising, in communication, again, really trying to understand a little bit about some of the motivations that drive decision-making, how people come to conclusion about making choices for their life, whether to go down path A or path B or choose brand A or brand B. And then from there, I had the good fortune of seeing leaders come together in community that really accelerated their ability to be successful. And I think combining this this love of marketing and communication and understanding how people make decisions together with trying to pull uh, communities of leaders together to advance the success of those leaders, their missions, their purpose, their, their, their drives for how to better and how to advance their business, their communities, their, their region of the world, I think has led me to the place that I am now. Well, I can see why so many people are able to connect with you. You know, it's a, it's very charismatic. It's very you know very embracing. You're very welcoming to a lot of other individuals. 
Uh, and I, I feel like, you know, when I speak to you, like I, I get a boost of energy, you know, and I get to carry that along in, in my day. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, I was curious about people's motivations. And, and we think about the word motivation, motive, uh, you know, in Latin, it's the reason, the reason for doing something. Tell me about a time when you were early in your, in your career, when you had to make a decision, what was your uh, decision-making process like and how has it evolved over time? Well, I will give you an example of something that I think is incredibly telling. So um, I had an early career working for some of the most, I think, prestigious and some of the most incredibly impactful advertising agencies in the nation at that time. So I had the good fortune of working for Ogilvy & Mather, J. Walter Thompson, some of the real legends in the advertising agency industry. These are brand builders, brand creators. These are people who absolutely study what it is to create a brand, what it is to pivot a brand, what it is to craft messaging that connects with people, not just intellectually, but emotionally, what that means for helping consumers guide and direct decision-making, whether that's for a shampoo or a detergent, or whether that is something really meaningful, like a house, a car, um, uh, perhaps even a particular industry that they want to work in. Everything is formed by both a combination of intellectual um, understanding of the decision to be made, but also a heart-centered focus on emotionally what really compels people forward. So in that early formative sort of stage of my career, I really began to understand the role of being able to appeal to someone intellectually in terms of just truly uh, the facts, the figures, the statistics that might create an argument for taking a certain stance, but also combining that very importantly with the emotional aspect. We tend to be very emotionally based creatures. So really understanding the emotions that drive decision-making, the emotions that drive action, and those motives I think are incredibly important. Now, fast forward from that early stage in my career where I worked for some of the most incredibly groundbreaking advertising agencies in the US to a time where I elected to move into graduate school and I got a master's degree and a PhD in clinical psychology. And in that um, study of clinical psychology, I also began to really understand psychologically what is motivating to people? What drives them forward? What's really appealing to them? How, again, they make decisions. I study arguments of persuasion, negotiation, and what really impacts people through that uh, master's and PhD program. I also really um, understood myself at a deeper level at that point because I had to go through the same battery of assessments and diagnostics um, in my graduate training that we often provide for clients. So in that time where I was being given the whole battery of diagnostics and assessments, psychological testing that we would give to a client, I found that my number one <laughs> driving force is impact. That is the number one driving motivation for me personally as a person is creating impact. 
And in fact, the school that did this testing said that I scored higher on that motivating drive than anyone that they had ever tested because my drive, not for power, not for fame, not for prestige, but for impact was absolutely off the charts. So understanding what drives you, understanding what your purpose is and understanding what, what really your particular purpose, your mission, your vision, and how that relates to your motivating drives, I think is absolutely key to understanding how you want to map out your journey in the world. I love that. And, uh, you know, I'm just curious to understand what you define as impact. And uh, for that matter, since we're all, while we're on the topic, what are some ways people can understand themselves better and, and discover their own purpose? Yeah. So a couple of things that I think are um, fundamental, really foundational, Kevin, is that you have to really understand your own values before you can understand your purpose, your mission, your vision. And really understanding your values is, is a deep exercise in understanding what your non-negotiables are. What are those aspects about you as a person or about the life that you're designing that are absolutely non-negotiable? These are things that are uh, you would not cross, you would not counter, no matter what the stakes were. So it could be honesty, it could be integrity, it could be uh, being transparent, it could be being fair, it could be a lot of different ideals that you hold as sacred, you hold as being fundamental, foundational to who you are as a person. Once you really understand your values, the five to seven sort of attributes or characteristics that you believe are not only true of you, but that you want to exemplify with your life, with the choices that you make in your life, then I think that allows you to be clear about how you want to represent those values in the purpose that you design for your life with the mission that you enact, with the vision that you create for your life. But it all starts fundamentally with a deep, rich understanding of what your values are that will be true in your life, whether you're talking about a personal relationship, a family structure, a business organization, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what the context is, those values will remain intact and consistent no matter the time, the place, the circumstance, or even the opportunity in front of you. And I think sometimes, you know, people trying to figure out their purpose, like you said, getting clear, they're very unclear. It's, it's like, uh, you know, you're in limbo, you know, as I like to say. Uh, things are just you know, all rambled, shaken up, you're disorganized, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. And how have you found helpful, just out of curiosity, um, feedback from others? And how do you incorporate uh, getting to learn about yourself from the feedback of uh, the people closest to you? I got to say, that's such a great, great point, because we all have blind spots. We all have blinders on to certain aspects of our giftedness, our talents, our perhaps even our own purpose. We may not have clarity around that simply because we're, we're experiencing our life. We experience ourselves and it's, it's nearly impossibly truly objective and to be truly um, 
deeply sort of observational while we're living a life. So it's incredibly critical to allow someone else to observe us, to allow someone else to have objective feedback and input into our lives to help uncover those blind spots that we may have. So by carefully choosing your own personal board of directors and allowing them to give you that kind of feedback, that kind of input around your giftedness, around your talents, around your skills, around your superpowers, those things in your life that come very naturally to you, that seem second nature to you, but are really unique talents. That can begin to, to help you take that first step to understand your values, to understand your purpose, so that you can craft your mission and vision. And what I find is that oftentimes we you know, assume that our board of directors, those people that we're going to receive very careful feedback and counsel from are our boss, our brother, our mother, our sister. So those people that are closest to us. But what I would challenge you to do is think more objectively and strategically about the people that are around you, that observe you, that have objective sort of understanding about who you are and how you operate in the world. This could be uh, a friend that you've known since childhood. This could be a coworker that has worked alongside you for years. This could be someone that you play sports with, someone that you go to church with, someone that um, perhaps is your um, elder or superior in terms of your career, someone that holds the job you aspire to 10 years from now. So this could be a mentor, this could be a coach, this could be an advisor, but you need to carefully choose those people around you and ask them very clearly, what have you observed about me that really strikes you? Or what is it about me that you think is really unique? How would you describe me to someone else? What do you think that I do that's different from anyone else you know? Uh, those kinds of questions begin to elicit perhaps a viewpoint and a perspective that we can't have on our own. And I find that those kinds of sessions where someone gives you very um, carefully considered feedback allows you to see yourself through a new lens, through a new perspective, and may give you a clue to what your real purpose is, what your real uh, reason for being on planet Earth is. And that will allow you to spark ideas, to create purpose, to create mission, to create vision. I love that. And, and for anyone that, you know, is going through this process, right, they probably got, you know, seven or eight things written down. And it's like being on the inside of a bottle, right? You know, the label is on the outside and people have to read on this. You can't figure out what, what you, you know, what you're made of, you know, from the inside. A lot of it has to come from support and, and objective opinions, like what you're saying. Um, now, tell me a little bit about how you've incorporated uh, a supportive atmosphere for uh, leaders, especially uh, you know, the female uh, leaders who may be lacking confidence in the workforce? Yeah, I would say that, you know, a couple things is that as the CEO of Lead Hership Global, it has been my intention to create a community for some of the most impactful women in the world, helping them unleash their full potential um, in a confidential, supportive, and private community. 
And what I have found is that, you know, by harnessing the knowledge, the influence, and importantly, the trust of high-performing women, we can stimulate data exchange, we can support creativity, we can provide resources and tools to accelerate both personal and professional growth. But it all comes back to this idea of having a private, confidential, and trust-based community. And so we embrace the passion of high-performing women to positively impact their lives and accelerate their success. And we do so by integrating self-directed learning, impactful small group experiences, expert-led coaching and mentoring. But the most important ingredient is being able to provide a trusting, supportive community of other high-performing and growth-oriented leaders. And just out of curiosity, you know, we're, we're both in the membership community space. You know, what's what's really worked uh, for Leadership Global? Tell me a little bit about kind of the origin uh, and when you guys founded and, and how you've been able to grow, you know, a, a, a large, trustworthy, connected audience. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. I will say that, you know, real leaders who... I am mean, so fortunate to be a part of this community. I just feel like real leaders is all about creating sustainable, positive impact for communities, for regions of the world. And it's so focused on social good. It's so focused on creating sustainable impact. And that's so needed in our world today. With Leadership Global, we have a slightly different sort of mission Um, And that is to provide women with the same level of resources and tools and connections and introductions and funding that they need to be able to accelerate their vision of success. And so through Leadership Global, we allow our members to meet inspirational leaders, create lifelong relationships, and really be surrounded by people that are invested in their success. This is all about lifting women up and creating an opportunity for them to raise their profile, extend their influence, and get access to the same level of resources and tools and funding as perhaps their male counterparts have, but that they really need in order to accelerate their success. So what I find when I speak to members all over the world is that they are incredibly inspired by the other members of Leadership Global. They're motivated by women who cheer them on, who counsel them, who support them to greater and greater levels of success and impact. And I know you have created a very trust-based community and real leaders as well. And we have that in common because I got to tell you, the purpose of both Leadership Global and real leaders, I believe, is to create and support personal and professional breakthroughs and guide your members to greater levels of leverage and freedom in both their careers and their businesses. And for real leaders, that's all connected to this idea of social good and real sustainable transformational impact, which I absolutely stand in awe of. Some of the men and women that I've met through real leaders are nothing less than just jaw-droppingly awe-inspiring. Um, and I believe that the global community of world-class women thought leaders and leadership global have demonstrated their ability to collaborate together and to facilitate incredible outcomes with each other and for each other as well. 
you know, it's interesting. I had a, a a conversation yesterday, and this has just come on the backs of just like support and mindset, mindset, and uh, seeing examples of other people that look like you, talk like you, uh, act like you. And I was speaking with a buddy who's an adjunct professor at UT Austin, and he was just saying, you know, I, I, I mentor these kids on, you know, what is getting in their way, you know, the government and uh, technologies and you know these world problems. And he said, and I said, well, you know. Andrew, do you know what the number one thing is that limits people in their growth? He said, what? I said, it's your mindset. It's your mindset of a lot of different individuals. And I've had, you know, I've worked in the women's basketball team. I understand, you know, the challenges that they faced. Um, and recently, actually, one of the team players, I'm going to brag about her, she just got uh, drafted by the Phoenix Mercury. And w- now this is a player, and this is just for those listening out there uh, to, to have a little faith in yourself. This is a player that, you know, had all the gifts in the world, but really lacked a lot of motivation, really didn't see uh, another side of basketball after college. Very difficult to get into the league, right? Until one day, Diana Taurasi came through to a practice of ours and, and spoke to her and said, you know, you've got what it takes. And, you know, three years later, she's now on the, on the Mercury. What do you have to say, you know, about... uh females not being confident enough in themselves, not seeing other examples of leaders in decision-making positions and not getting the feedback that they need to step into their own growth. Tell me about an example that you faced and how you've also been able to lift up others. Oh, Kevin, you just brought up such a key issue and that is confidence. And you know, we don't enter the world with it. No one has it all the time. Talking about it won't help you gain it. But it's so fundamental to our ability to really step into our purpose boldly. You know, women have a particular difficulty developing self-confidence. In fact, research has showed over and over again that compared with men, women don't consider themselves ready for a promotion. They predict they'll do worse on tests and they generally underestimate their considerable abilities. It's really stunning. And yet self-confidence is linked to almost every single element involved in a happy and fulfilling life. And so it's absolutely critical that women begin to raise their awareness around this issue of confidence and begin to very intentionally cultivate the kind of confidence that allows you to push the limits of your abilities, claim your power, really change the world, as you just noted in that great example with your basketball star. And I got to tell you that, you know, confidence is so critical to every single aspect of success. It gives you the skills and the coping methods to help you handle setbacks, to help you cope with failure. But it also means that you know, not only are you going to be able to handle the challenges and not be crippled by them, um, even when things don't turn out anywhere close to what you planned, you'll be able to avoid kind of beating yourself up. But it also gives you the confidence to try. It gives you the confidence to step out and at least give it a shot. So Self-confidence doesn't mean you won't sometimes fail. You absolutely will at some point fail. You you will not be able to step out on a tennis court the very first time and be able to beat Andre Agassi. There's just no way. 
there's no way that you're going to be able to pick up a golf club and all of a sudden be as good as Jack Nicklaus. There's no way that that's going to happen. But what you can do is recognize that your ability to evolve your ability, your skill, your knowledge is a process and it allows you to step onto that court, step into that boardroom, step into that position saying, yep, I'm going to fail at certain things. I'm going to have setbacks. I'm going to have missteps and it's okay. I'm still going to try. And yep, I will probably sometimes fail, but I'm going to be able to handle that challenge. I'm not going to be crippled by my failures because I have the confidence in myself to be a lifetime learner, to evolve, to improve. And that's really having a growth mindset. Hmm. So what I invite women to do is reflect for a moment about how self-confident they think they are. How self-confident do they feel around their work? What about with friends, with family? How confident do they feel making a presentation at work or perhaps even just talking to a stranger? You and only you can make new things happen in your life. And if you wait for serendipity to provide you with good fortune or with increased confidence, you're going to be waiting a long time. So you have to realize that the path towards self-confidence is one that only you can travel. No one can do it for you. But once you begin intentionally challenging some of your limiting beliefs, challenging some of those things that hold you back, really stepping out and trying, knowing full well that you're not going to be super successful at everything you begin, then that allows you to say, okay, I'm just going to experiment. There's going to be no shame. There's going to be no blame. I'm just going to experiment. So if you lack confidence and you want to build your confidence, I think it's so important to keep in mind that it is a process. It can't be built overnight. And there are particular steps that you can take to increase your self-confidence, but only you can begin to take those necessary steps and practice them. And the more that you practice, the better your result will be. But the very first thing to do is to really start examining those limiting self-beliefs about yourself, about your circumstances, and really begin challenging those things through small experiments and begin recognizing that every single step forward is just that. There's no shame. There's no blame. There's no right. There's no wrong. There's just the ability to learn, to step forward and learn. And every single uh, incredible achievement or dismal failure is just an opportunity to learn. And that's what I love about our communities. You know, it's like we embrace imperfection. We're real, you know, and that's what real, real is. It's, imper it's imperfection. And, you know, I think about, um, you know, a lot of the things that you've just said, um, and, and, and really where I, where I want to take this is into like, um, you know, just being imperfect. What are some of the things, you know, the people are gonna be listening to this, you're gonna see, hey, oh, Linda, easy for you to say, here you are up here, you know, uh, with this company and all the success and, you know, wh where have you failed? But the growth mindset is what I want to go into today. So, so tell our audience a little bit about your failures throughout your journey. Yeah, I will give you a big one. Um, and it's hard to believe now, uh, but when I was growing up, when I was, uh, golly, from as young as I can remember, all the way through college, I had a very uh, pronounced stuttering problem. I was diagnosed as being clinically shy. And so what that meant is because I was clinically shy, 
I couldn't even hold eye contact with someone. I couldn't shake their hand. I literally would pass out, even as a small child, if attention was brought to me. I absolutely could not handle any kind of interaction. And if forced to speak, I inevitably stuttered. And I don't mean I just mumbled my words. I mean, I could not speak. Uh, it was a very pronounced stutter. Well, that became a bit of an invisible disability in mm, a lot of ways sure. because it created self-isolation. It created um, a very intentional distancing from other people. I didn't want to be humiliated to have to be called on in class and not be able to respond, to be asked to join a conversation and know that there's no way that I could participate. So I began finding ways of protecting myself by isolating myself, by distancing myself. And I had very protective parents that also gave all of my teachers a heads up. Don't call on Linda. Don't ask her to come to the board. You know, don't do anything that will further um, isolate her or further humiliate her, embarrass her. She already has very fragile self-esteem and doing anything that causes undue attention will just exacerbate the situation. And it wasn't until I was moving into college that I recognized there is no way that I'm going to be able to fulfill my purpose and live out my mission and my vision with this kind of very significant disability. I couldn't communicate with other people. I couldn't hold eye contact. I couldn't interact with them in any sort of normal way. And so I thought I have got to get this under control. Now, keep in mind, because I had very caring parents, I had already gone through speech therapy. I had already gone through all kinds of um, different sorts of medical treatments and therapies and things to try to overcome this. But my kind of stuttering was psychological, not neurological. So because my uh, stuttering issue had to do specifically with my inability to feel confident, which is why I'm such a student of this, <laughs> um, I recognized that the therapy that I really needed was psychological therapy. So I went to psychologists who, who specialize in this kind of disability. I, I continued to do speech therapy. I went to speech counseling um, and I enrolled in every single public speaking course that the university offered. Now, I will tell you that was horrifying because the very first time I stood up to give a speech, like everyone else in the class had done, I passed out. I literally stood at the podium and passed out. And that happened the second time. And that happened the third time. And I really thought I was going to fail this class because I couldn't even stand at the podium for more than five minutes without literally passing out until a very kind teacher said, don't face us, turn around, just face the, the board, the uh, blackboard and give the talk to the blackboard. And then over time through speech therapy, through psychological therapy, and through these very difficult public speaking courses, I began being able to utter a sentence, then a paragraph, then a speech. And by the time I was a senior in undergraduate, I was actually a regional 
public speaking award winner. I had won regional competitions for public speaking. I had won um, a state level, regional, and one national competition for public speaking. And so you talk about a growth mindset. I went from not being able to even communicate with people, many people thought I was mute, all the way to being able to stand on a stage and give a talk uh, to an audience, an auditorium of hundreds of folks. And again, this shows the, the ability that we all have with the growth mindset to overcome a disability, to overcome a phenomenal set of failures, to be able to achieve a vision that you have for your life. And in this case, I really envisioned the opportunity to be in advertising, be in marketing. Well, what is the number one challenge of any marketer, any advertiser? It's persuading people to a particular perspective. It's persuading people to take action. It's standing in front of the client first off and persuading them to buy off on a particular campaign. And I have to be persuasive and compelling to convince my client that a particular campaign idea is worthy. And then we have to create the campaign and launch it in such a way that it impacts people and it persuades and motivates them to take action. So everything in my early life was around communi communication, community, and it's because I was quiet, in fact, muted for so long that I studied people and I studied what created charisma, what created popularity, what created motivation, what created this sense of some people were able to create incredible movements. They were able to create incredible change, transformation. Why? How? How is it that some people were able to create such incredible impact and others were unable to? So it's through being an observer through my early childhood years, all the way through high school, that I think gave me this incredible focus and this intention to use that knowledge and that insight and that observation to in my career to be able to impact people. But to do that, I had to learn to speak. And so, Linda, how do you incorporate that in just your daily life in general? Obviously, a podcast is a form of uh, presenting to the public. Um, what are some other ways that you've been able to incorporate this purpose to continue to refine your craft and get those repetitions in to become better and better. Yeah, I will say, uh, you know, it's still not comfortable for me to be on stage, to be on podcasts, to be even sometimes in one-on-one -on -one conversation. It can be draining. It can be taxing, but I will tell you that with practice, everything becomes easier. And sometimes I feel like when we are uncomfortable, that's when the very best learning begins. So when you start feeling really uncomfortable, you recognize that something that you are doing is not an easy task. It allows you to really stretch and grow. And the more that you practice that skill, the more that you practice that initiative, the easier and easier it does become. So I have been on hundreds of podcasts. I've been on hundreds of stages. This June, I'm giving a TEDx talk, for goodness sakes. And who would have thought that way back then, this little girl who couldn't lift her eyes to meet the gaze of someone else's and who stumbled on the easiest words, who had the worst time at all connecting with humans at any level, unless it was a private, very safe environment, like with my family, who 
I had no problem staring with, if it was a safe environment with people I knew and trusted, like my family members, I had no problem speaking. But anything outside of that, I literally was mute. To go from that to a place where I'm standing on a TEDx stage in a football stadium, I mean, to me, that is just absolutely remarkable. But I tell you that the first thing you have to do is, as we've talked about, adapt this whole growth mindset. And if you've suffered from low self-confidence, you're probably familiar with rumination, the tendency to mull over worries and perceived mistakes and replaying them over and over. And excessive rumination is linked to anxiety, depression. It can make us withdraw from the world. But you can break that cycle of overthinking and quiet that inner critic. Um, with intention and focus on what you're telling yourself. So um, I really believe that this is possible for anyone to overcome literally just about anything uh, that that you've been burdened with. And, and curious to know about the environment that worked has worked best for you. You know, it's like the old analogy, like you throw a fish into a bowl or into the ocean, it's just going to be bigger in the ocean, right? And like, what is the environment that you have created for yourself? You think about the cycles that people go through with friends or environments or cities or locations that have other temptations, um, other thoughts and opinions um, a lot of, that a lot of people struggle with. What's the environment that you had to create for yourself during this time of growth? You know, at some point, I think that I had to learn how to respect myself and also how to demand respect from others, which meant that I was very intentional and purposeful in the people that I surrounded myself with. Um, so confidence isn't just knowing that you're good at something. It pushes you to be even better. It pushes you to overcome obstacles. It pushes you to recognize failures, but not give up. So you begin to take pride in skill, talent, gift, but you also continue to cultivate that. And you also recognize that, listen, no one walking the earth right now is perfect. So we're all going to make missteps. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have failures. And if we begin to shift our mindset around that, rather than seeing it as a condemnation of our ability or our character, but rather an opportunity to learn and grow, then that allows this idea of confidence to really take root and to be cultivated, to be nurtured. For me, I am very clear about, um, you know, as I said, being in community with other people, while it is such a blessing and it's something I deeply cherish, it's also something that can be taxing for me. So I am very clear about what my limits are. And I have boundaries around my work and my personal life. I have boundaries around my my connection with other people, what I take on, what I what I say no to. And sometimes being able to say no, is incredibly important. And that is an aspect of respecting yourself and demanding other people that, that surround you are also respectful. So some of this means occasionally culling people from uh, your, your particular tribe. It could be that you are surrounding yourself with people who are not nurturing, who are not uplifting, who are not um, sort of bringing out the very best in you. And it could be about distancing yourself from people that you find to be toxic. It also could be about being much more intentional about bringing people into your tribe that are that are uplifting, that are encouraging, that are 
truth tellers that are mentors and advisors and people you learn from and you grow with. And some of that is also learning to really respect yourself and demanding that others recognize your boundaries and respect those, recognize your giftedness, recognize your contributions while you respect and recognize theirs. Linda, you mentioned the the movements that a lot of leaders can have by being very persuasive and working on their craft and being vulnerable and all the good traits. What are the common traits that stand out to you from your research about a lot of leaders that have led some of these movements that you admire? You know, I think a really uh, gifted, impactful, inspiring leader is one who is incredibly authentic um, and who inspires people to be greater than they believe they can be themselves. So a really impactful leader is one who is incredibly genuine and authentic and cares deeply for what their purpose is, what their mission is, what their vision is to make an impact in the world. They are deeply committed to that and they're authentic in their commitment to that uh, movement. But importantly, that kind of dedication, that kind of authenticity lifts people up. It connects them. It gives them a sense of being able to step into a movement that's greater than they are. Gives them an opportunity to step into success that's maybe beyond what they believe they were capable of. It maybe stretches them to leverage abilities and skills that maybe they didn't even know they had. So a really impactful leader sees the very best in those around them, brings that to their awareness and cultivates and nurtures those strengths, those gifts, those talents of those people around them. And so in fact, in that, you as a team become stronger, more resilient, more agile, more nimble, and you're able to take on greater and greater challenges and create greater and greater sense of connectedness, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, because you all have shared goal. That's really impactful, not just for you as an individual, but for you perhaps as part of a larger business, as part of a larger community, or as part of a larger region of the world, you're creating and making a difference that is incredibly positive for people that perhaps you don't even know. And what is more motivating than that? Well, Linda, I just want to appreciate you for coming on the Really Just Podcast today. It's been a pleasure having you on. For the woman leader listening to this out there who is saying, you know, I'm lacking a little confidence right now. This sounds like a community I want to be involved in to step into my greatness. How do they get involved? So we have a website, Lead Her Ship Global. And I would invite you to go to the website, check us out, look at our mission, our vision, our members, uh, our programs. And there's a an opportunity for you to learn more or to immediately join us. We have different levels of membership, no matter where you are in your leadership journey. And the one promise I can make you for everyone that's a part of Leadership Global is that you will be valued, you will be respected, you will be cared for, and you will be connected with other leaders that are incredibly inspiring and impactful just like you. For Linda Fisk, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, use your authenticity to raise others up, and always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, Linda.